Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Open your Bible with me to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. So yesterday, uh, my family and I, we enjoyed the, the nice weather and we went out for a hike. And we ended up somewhere northwest of Clinton. I'm not even sure where we were, but I found a, a spot on an app and, and we went hiking and it was awesome. My youngest is five and so uh, it, it was a fairly easy type of hike. Um, but we were walking and we'd been on this path for about 30 minutes or so. And as we were going, we were just talking and hanging out and looking at all the beautiful things. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the path, there was this post that said, warning, steep cliff ahead, right? Steep cliff ahead. And so immediately we pay attention to the warning sign. We, we grab our kids' hands and we say, all right, let's stay away from the steep cliff because uh, that could be dangerous for your life, you know? And so we, we paid attention to it. That's the way warning signs work. If, if you see a warning sign, it's really only helpful if you pay attention to the warning sign, isn't it? I've got some examples of some warning signs I want to show you this morning. If you could put up that first one for me. Uh, so this one says, danger, deep mud, keep out. And I love it because somebody's glued googly eyes to this <laughs> monstrous looking mud man. Uh, but the point there is uh, don't get in the mud or else you'll look like that guy, you know, so that's helpful. This one, no dunking because swinging on the rim may cause serious injury or death. I'm not sure what the death toll is on dunking, um, but you know what? That's why I don't dunk anymore. I don't, I don't want to risk it. <laughs> don't want to risk it at all. No death. This one's on the beach. It says, do not step in fire pits, um, which is, you know, that's helpful. But if you need a sign to tell you that, you, uh, you need more help than just the sign, right? What's the next one? This one's great. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. <laughs> so just in case you touch those wires, if you avoid the instant death, pay the $200 fine. So warning signs, you know, sometimes they can be confusing, sometimes they can be scary, but again, warning signs are really only helpful if you pay attention to them. Today we're going to see maybe uh, the biggest warning sign in the Bible, and it's one that we should really pay attention to. It's the warning sign that you see in Genesis 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah. You've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Even if you're not a church kid, like that phrase alone, Sodom and Gomorrah, is synonymous in our culture with uh, deep-rooted sin, whether it's in a, a human or in a culture. A lot of times, Sodom and Gomorrah today is synonymous with sexual sin, homosexuality, those kind of things. And you certainly see that in Genesis chapter 19, but it, it was more than that. It's more than just the sexual sin that you see in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the Bible tells us that it was an extremely wicked city. God says in Genesis 18:20, says the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. And then Ezekiel chapter 16 kind of tells us some of the things that they were doing and see if this doesn't sound familiar for America in 2024. It says, now this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable acts before me, so I removed them 
when I saw this. So Sodom and Gomorrah, again, synonymous with cultural type of sin in a society, in a city, in people that's deep-rooted. And I think you would agree with me in saying that we see a culture and a society today that is running rampant with deep-rooted sin, right? It's all throughout our culture, our nation, not only our nation, but our world. Sin is a huge, a huge problem. And so this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, serves as a warning sign to us. Chapter 19 of Genesis is a horrible scene. Like it's one of those that you don't want your kids to read, you know. It's a, it's a, terrible, it's a terrible scene. What happens is God says in Genesis 18, I'm going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because it's such an evil place. And then he sends two angels to the city, to Lot's house. That's the guy we're going to look at today, Lot. Uh, he's there living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and these angels show up at Lot's house. The men of the city see the angels go into Lot's house, and the men of the city come to Lot's front door and say, hey, send out those two guys back out here. We want to rape them and do crazy things to them. And you're just like, what in the world is this about? And so Lot's response to them is, no, no, I'm not going to send out these two guests in my home. There's some cultural stuff going on there. Instead, I'll send out my two daughters to you, and you can have your way with them. And you're just like, that's unbelievable. Who would do that kind of a thing? This is a terrible, terrible scene. And then the angels respond by blinding all of the men who are at the front door so that Lot and his family can escape. Crazy scene, horrible chapter, uh, a lot of messy stuff going on here. But this passage, again, is a warning sign because Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed for its sin. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, is going to point to this moment and this city at this time and say, hey, this is a giant warning sign for all of you because in the same way, you will be destroyed because of your sin, right? Luke chapter 17, that's what Jesus says. So it's a picture of fallen humanity in our society. It's a, it's a warning sign of what is to come. But even in the midst of the judgment, it's beautiful because you see the word has said, it's a faithful love type of thing. So even in the middle of the judgment, we see the grace of God on display as he saves his people. So that's what we're gonna look at together, this warning sign. Again, the question is, is how are you gonna respond to it? Will you listen to the warning sign or not? Before we read the text, I'd love for us just to pray and ask the Lord if he would speak during this time. So I'm going to pray for all of us, and as I do, just pray for yourself and ask the Lord if he would speak to you in this time. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for the moments that we share together. As we open up your word, God, I pray that, that you would do what only you can do, and that's speak to our hearts. Help us to hear what it is that you have for us today, and help us to apply. Help us to see the warning sign. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 15. So if you're going to follow along in your Bible, Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. And uh, again, this is after the angels come in. All that crazy stuff happens at the front door. They blind the city men. And now the angels are telling Lot and his family to get out. That's where we're at. Verse 15. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside the city. 
As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you and you've shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So that I can survive. And he said to them, all right, I'll grant your request about this matter too and will not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. Let's pause there for a second. We're going to continue reading uh, in just a second, but I want to show you in this text, I want to show you three characters, three main characters really, and their responses to the warning sign. So first, first person that you see is Lot. And Lot hesitated, but he was saved. Now, here's the thing about Lot as we start talking about him. Um, Lot was a punk, all right? I don't like the guy. I don't know if you're allowed to say that about Bible people or not, but I don't like him at all. I think he's a punk, and I just, you know, one of these days get to heaven, I'm not going to talk to the guy. Um, I just, I don't like him. What we know from his story is he was extremely selfish. In Genesis chapter 13, he's given a choice on which land he wants to pick and go live in. And he looks out and he sees the valley and it's green and it's lush, it's beautiful. And he's like, I'm going to take that one. And he goes and he lives here in this valley where Sodom and Gomorrah is. He's selfish. We also know that he's not very smart. He's very stubborn. He was in Sodom as it was attacked in Genesis chapter 14. These other kings come in, they attack the city, they take Lot as a prisoner of war. God rescues him from that situation. And what does he do? He goes right back to Sodom. Not very smart at all. He's extremely stubborn. And then we also know that he's a coward and a horrible dad. A horrible dad. Again, these men show up on the front door asking Lot to send out these two messengers so that they could have their way with them. And Lot's response is, I'm not going to do that, but how about my two daughters? What kind of dad does that, right? That's unbelievable. That's, that's a horrible father. And not only that, whenever the angels say, hey, you need to get your whole family out, verse 16 says he hesitated. Like he's a terrible father, terrible leader of his home. And so the angel has to grab his hand and forcefully remove him, drag him out of Sodom. And then as soon as they get outside of the walls, he starts arguing with the angels on which city and where they're gonna run to. Like, he's just a punk. Nobody likes Lot. He's a terrible, terrible guy. But here's the thing. God saved him anyway. God saved him. There's nothing about Lot that deserved the mercy of God. Nothing. And as you keep reading in chapter 19, it's going to get worse. There's this whole incest thing that happens between Lot and his two daughters. All right? And let me just pause here and tell you this. As you're reading your Bible something that's very helpful for you or important to keep in mind is a discussion on what you might call descriptive versus prescriptive, all right? Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times the Bible will describe an event or something that's taking place, but God is not condoning those things. He's not prescribing those for your life. Does that make sense? And so there's things on the pages of your Bible that make you uncomfortable that you're like, man, I'd rather my kids not even read that. 
But God's not condoning it. He's not, he's not prescribing it for your life. He's just describing what happened. And that's what you see as you continue reading in chapter 19. But it gets worse. Lot did not deserve the mercy of God. He's a terrible guy. Can I tell you a verse in the Bible that really bothers me? It's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, where Lot is described as a righteous man. He's called righteous Lot. And I don't like that at all, right? Because the question is, how in the world was Lot righteous? And here's how, and you need to, you need to understand this. Lot was righteous in the same way that you and I are righteous, only because of the grace and mercy of God. That's it. He didn't deserve it at all. Again, he's a punk. I don't like this guy. You shouldn't like him either. He didn't deserve the mercy of God, but God gave it to him anyway. And maybe that's the best description of you that you've ever heard in church. Like, on the inside, you know that you're a rotten person. And nobody knows it better than you do. And you barely have any faith or trust in this whole Christianity thing. Listen, I, I want you to hear that all you have to do is have just enough faith, just enough trust in the Lord to reach out your hand, let him take your hand and take that first step of following him and he will transform you, he will save you, he will declare you to be righteous in front of him. That's salvation. That's, that is salvation that none of us deserve to be saved. Not one single person in here was first chasing after God. God always chases after and pursues you and snatches you out of the fires of hell or away from the judgment scene, just as you see here with Lot. That's the good news of the gospel, that because of Jesus and his perfect life that he lived, the death that he died in your place, he was buried because he was dead, he rose from the dead three days later, and because he did that, horrible people like you and me are saved. That's the good news. That is the good news. Christ did not die for good people because there aren't any. Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5, 6 says. Christ died for those who are trapped in their sin, Romans 5, 8. It says at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's who Jesus died for. He died for the ungodly. And all of us who place our trust in him and receive that free gift of salvation, Romans 10, 9 says, if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, right? That's the free gift. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. But because of what Jesus has done for you, you can escape the judgment. The word that's used here is because of his compassion or his kindness. It's a Hebrew word, has said. It means his faithful love. That's how you're saved. And so if you don't know Jesus today, man, let me just encourage you in this moment here today, just reach out your hand, let him take your hand, take that first step of obedience, and he will save you and declare you righteous when you did nothing to deserve it. That's the good news. That's the good news. Next, I want us to see Lot's wife. Look at verse 23. It says, the sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. 
he demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. So the second person that you see in the response to the warning sign is you see Lot's wife and she ignored the warning. What was the warning? It's in verse 17. The angel says this. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you will be swept away. That's the very clear warning from the, the angels who are rescuing them, right? And what does she do? Verse 26, she looks back. She was explicitly told, don't look back. And she looked back and became a pillar of salt. I don't know how you've always pictured this story, if you've read it before, but I think growing up, I was just kind of pictured like they're all just running and she like maybe just gets the itch just to kind of peek just for a second, maybe get a glance and boom, she just turns into a pillar of salt. And maybe that is what happened, not really sure. What I think is more likely is that her family is running away and she stopped because she couldn't decide between the two, freedom or Sodom. And so she just kind of stops right in the middle. She wasn't sure if she wanted to leave or not. It's a picture. She's kind of in, she's kind of out. One foot in, one foot out. And maybe she's thinking, like, how do we even know that these angels are telling us the truth? Like, they just show up and tell us that our home is going to be destroyed and we got to run for our life. How do we know that that's true? I have friends down there. This is where I grew up. This is all the life I've ever known. I've got plans tonight. I've got chores that I've got to do. Who knows what it is that she's thinking, but I think it's clear to see that her heart is still in Sodom. When I was in high school, I walked through high school kind of the same kind of way. I was a church kid on Wednesdays and Sundays, and then the rest of the week, I was just a normal high school kid. I wasn't horrible. I wasn't selling black tar heroin on the playground or anything crazy like that. But I kind of had these two lives going on. I had my church life. I had my school life. And, and maybe, maybe teenager, maybe you're doing that very same thing today, or maybe you're a grown adult still doing that same thing. I've heard people declare, like, yeah, I want to be uh, I like Jesus, but I don't want to be too Jesus-y, you know? I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I don't want to be, I still want to have fun. I still kind of want to walk in the middle, and that's kind of the life that you end up walking with the world in one hand and Jesus in the other hand. And you know what the, the brother of Jesus says in James 4, 4 about that? He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is combat with God. He's saying, if you're walking with kind of one foot in, one foot out, or a hand in both camps kind of a thing, God says, you're cheating on me. That's strong language, right? You adulterous people. But too many of us try and just walk this middle ground of being in between the two, not really deciding, do I really want freedom in Christ or do I wanna hang on to the things of this world? And I think that's what you see here in Lot's wife. She stops, she lingers behind, she ignores the warning and she's caught somewhere in the middle. And then the fire falls from heaven. And that's what it describes there in verse 24. 
Out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished the cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the land. So this fire from heaven starts to fall, and it's just like a bomb goes off. All vegetation, all the cities are destroyed in this moment. And I think what happens is I think Lot's wife, from the blast, from the fire, from the soil explosion and all the different things going on, I think she is encapsulated by the debris from this blast. It's just like what happened in AD 79 when Mount Vesuvius erupted in Italy and encapsulated the city of Pompeii. You've, you've heard about this, right? Um, that, that as this blast went off, that, that everything that the fire touched was just engulfed. And the fire fell at such a hot temperature and such an extreme rate of speed that it literally just preserved this city. Whatever people were doing at that time, they were just kind of encapsulated in it. I've got a slide here of a body that was found. They've actually found over a thousand different bodies of people that are found in the very position they were whenever the city was hit just kind of forms this cocoon around them, around their body. And so maybe that's what happened to Lot's wife. I don't know if it is or not, but maybe that's what happened. But the point is this, that she ignored the warning and she was destroyed because of it. She ignored the warning. And again, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said to remember this story of Lot, of Sodom and Gomorrah, of Lot's wife, and keep it as a warning sign for what? In Luke 17, he's describing the fact that he's going to return and every single person is gonna stand before him in judgment. Right, that, that every person is gonna stand before the Lord in judgment. And in that moment, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus specifically says to remember Lot's wife. That's interesting, right? Why her? Out of everybody else in the Bible, people have played way bigger stories than just these, really just one verse that you get about her in Genesis 19, 26. Jesus could have used anybody, but he specifically mentions her. This is what Luke 17 says about the coming judgment. Uh, Luke 17, 24, for as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the son of man will be in his day. He's saying, hey, when I come back, it's gonna be fast. When judgment happens, it's gonna happen quickly. He goes on in Luke 17, 28, says it's gonna be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, building. But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down and get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Right there in Luke 17, 33, Jesus provides the commentary for this whole thing on Lot's wife. She was trying to secure her life, and she ended up losing it. She was caught in the middle ground. She couldn't decide which one she wanted to go with. And Jesus says, you gotta remember Lot's wife. Don't be caught in the middle. 
Don't be caught in the middle. See, when the people of Sodom woke up that morning, they had no idea it would be their last day. No idea. Life was going on as usual, and then the fire fell. And you just need to know that Jesus uses that story in Genesis 19 to describe the day that he's going to return. And one day he will return, and it's going to be unexpected. And if you're lucky enough to still be living in that day, he's going to come back, and it'll be unexpected. Or you're going to die somewhere in between, but either way, you're going to stand before the Lord in judgment. And either you will stand there condemned in your own sin, left to pay for it yourself, which the Bible says that the payment for sin is death. So you'll be left there to pay for it yourself through eternal death, or you will stand before him in judgment on that unexpected day, covered in the blood of Jesus and the righteousness that he brings. Those are really your two options. But being somewhere in the middle, like Lot's wife, it's not good enough. So remember Lot's wife. Let's continue reading verse 27. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain, and he saw that smoke was going up from the land like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. The last person I want us to look at and their response to this warning sign is Abraham. You're like, wait, this story isn't even about Abraham. (laughs) You're right. But we see God brings him back up here. Abraham prayed for his loved one. Abraham prayed for his loved one. Now the backstory to this and, and the piece that maybe you need to put together here is that Lot is Abraham's nephew. And again, Lot is a punk. And so he's like that nephew or that family member that's wayward, that's off doing all kinds of crazy stuff that you talk about at the holidays. Like, have you heard what Lot's doing over in Sodom? Like, that's, that's this situation here. But Uncle Abraham loved Lot. Loved him like crazy, apparently. In Genesis 13, whenever they're standing there at this moment of deciding who should take what piece of land, Abraham looks at Lot and says, I'm going to let you decide. You decide which one's best. And, and selfish Lot, he looks out and he sees the green pastures and the beautiful valley and goes, I'm going to take that one. And Abraham goes and lives in Canaan. In Genesis 14, when Sodom is invaded by the enemy armies and Lot is taken as a prisoner of war, guess who comes and saves him? It's Uncle Abraham. He brings us 300 men and they come in and they they go to battle against the kings and they rescue Lot and he's so selfish and stubborn he just runs right back to Sodom. In Genesis 18, the chapter right before this moment that we've been studying in 19 happens, God is standing with Abraham on this cliff overlooking Sodom and God says, hey, I'm gonna have to destroy Sodom. It's an extremely wicked city. And what you see happens next, Genesis 18, verses 16 through 33, Abraham stands there before the Lord on this cliff overlooking Sodom, and he begs the Lord to save. 
He's just begging him to save. And then now, after this moment happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, the narrator draws our eye here in verses, verse 27 to Abraham standing again right there in the very spot where he had prayed in Genesis 18 for Sodom and for the righteous to be saved out of there. You see Abraham standing there again, overlooking Sodom, smoke coming up like a furnace. And the narrator tells us this in verse 29. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. Do you see it? Lot was saved because Abraham prayed. You just need to know and you need to understand that your prayers matter. They matter deeply. I don't understand why. I I can't tell you how it works. I just know as you read your Bible, you see that the God of all creation actually listens to you. And your prayers, the prayers of the people of the Bible, actually affect the decisions and the things that God does. Again, I can't explain that to you. I can only show it to you and say, look, this is happening here. That prayer matters. Abraham begged the Lord to save his loved ones in Sodom, and God did it. Over the past few weeks, our church has been praying together on Wednesday nights, this thing that we're calling the prayer. And one of the things that we do every Wednesday for the last three weeks as we've been praying is we have a moment where we're praying prayers of submission. And what that means is we're praying prayers where we're wanting our heart to align with the heart of God. It's praying prayers like Jesus told us to pray of of God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are the things that God's heart cares about? God's heart cares to save. He, He desires to save and bring revival and repentance and his kingdom to advance. And so at the prayer on Wednesday nights, we're just praying those kind of prayers. Hey God, we align our heart with yours. We're, we're begging you to intervene and to save. A couple of weeks ago, we, we made these prayer boards where people um, were able to write on the card a name of someone that they're praying for. And on Tuesday of this week, I got a text message from somebody going, hey, we can take my name off the board because they just prayed to receive Christ this week. Like the Lord is answering. We're praying for all kinds of stuff. And I shared uh, this past Wednesday that over the last couple of weeks, our church, Second Baptist, as we've been praying and begging the Lord to save, our church has had a hand in seeing right at 80 people say yes to Jesus, put their faith in him for salvation through Beast Fees, through our college ministry, through Unite Student Weekend. 80 people have said yes to Jesus just in the last two weeks as the people of God are crying out to him. We're having multiple people right now say, hey, we need, I need to be baptized. Just this past Sunday, we, we talked about baptism and, and we've got like six or seven who came forward this week saying we need to be baptized. You just need to know that the Lord answers the prayers of his people whenever we align our heart with his to save. And so that's what we're doing as a church is we're begging the Lord to move and he is responding. And so to bring it back into this text of Abraham and Lot. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, son, daughter, friend, coworker, keep praying 
for your lost loved ones. Keep praying that the Lord would intervene and save them because he desires to save. The Lord is gracious, kind, loving, merciful to save. So if you have a wayward loved one, if you've got a lot in your life, be lifting them up to the God who hears you and desires to save. So what do we do with this text? How do we respond to to this today? Again, I think this text is a giant warning sign to us. Jesus even says so in Luke 17 that, hey, you need to be ready because one day every single person is gonna stand before the Lord. Every single person. And so maybe you need to respond today by placing your trust and your faith in Jesus to save you. Again, just enough faith to extend your hand, take a step of faith, he will save you, transform you, and declare you to be righteous right here, right now, this morning. Maybe that's your step. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I'm a lot like Lot's wife. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. Can't really decide which direction I wanna go, but today I need to fully declare that I'm going with Jesus. Maybe that's your step of faith. Or maybe, Christian, maybe today, you've got a loved one like Lot that you just need to lift up to him and ask the Lord to save. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.